0: There's two things you need to know right off the bat, or today's message will make absolutely no sense to you. Number one, evil exists, and there are dark forces in the universe bent on the destruction of life and defacing the image of God in the pinnacle of God's creation human beings, us. Evil exists. It's not just a matter of bad choices or a little bit of right and wrong. Evil exists. The second thing you need to know is that in spite of the first reality, God is in charge. God is in charge, and whenever and wherever God is in charge, that's where the kingdom of God is. Um, We're going to read quite a bit of scripture today from Mark chapter 4 and chapter 5. Uh, When the words appear on the screen, wherever there are yellow words, that will be the voice of Jesus speaking, and because uh, the church is the body of Christ, I would invite you as the church to be the voice of Jesus in the scripture reading today. Have your assignment? All right. Now this text uh, comes after Jesus had spent a long day preaching and teaching and feeding thousands of people. Okay, so if you can imagine, at the end of the most exhausting day you've ever had, this is where Jesus is at. That day, when evening finally came, he said to his disciples, to Now in this case, just a quick pause, the other side meant the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is a pretty large freshwater lake. They were making a, about a seven-mile trip from west to east across this lake in 2,000-year-old boating technology, right? So this would take maybe two hours under normal circumstances. The Sea of Galilee, this lake, um, is actually 700 feet below sea level. And only 30 miles away, there is a 9,000-foot-tall mountain, Mount Hermon. And what, on occasion, happens is the cold winds come off that 9,000-foot mountain and come sweeping across the lake And some crazy storms can develop. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. And he was, just as he was, in the boat. And there were other boats with him. And a furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. That's pretty tired, by the way, right? If you're in a massive storm and you're sleeping... His disciples woke him up and said to him, "Teacher, don't you care if we drown?" And then Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves. Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely dead, calm. And Jesus said to his disciples, "Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith?" And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Here's the thing that screams out of this little anecdote, that Jesus is in charge. You with me on that? Do you know anybody who talks to the weather? Can Rob even talk to the weather? Even our newsman cannot compare and command the weather. Probably not even the weather people. But Jesus, the Son of God, is clearly in charge of the forces of nature. He speaks one little word, quiet. And the massive storm falls flat. Jesus not only has power, but the Gospels demonstrate for us that Jesus himself is power. Now here's the question I think that's fair to ask. Okay, Jesus is in charge of, wow, the forces of nature. This is like big cosmic stuff. But is he in charge of me? How personal does Jesus' power get? Now, what follows after the story about Jesus calming the wind and the waves is, uh, bar none, the most... uh, detailed and intricate story that Mark tells in his gospel, apart from Jesus' passion, his death and resurrection. Okay, so Mark takes a lot of time to tell this story because I think he wants his readers to know that Jesus' power makes such a big and personal difference. So here's the story. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus got out of the boat, remember how tired Jesus was? I mean, they just made a few yards. Immediately, a man with an impure or unclean spirit came from the nearby tombs to meet him. Now, this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For often, he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons from his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue this man. And night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Exhausted, tired Jesus crosses the lake, tries to get a nap in, gets woken up, Calms the mighty forces of nature. Finally gets to the beach. And this crazy man greets him. This man is a disaster. He is a wild man. He is a man in whom there is literally pandemonium. Do you know this word, pandemonium? We teach you two big words today. So the prefix pan means like everywhere or all. Like middle, middle schoolers, have you taken her science? Pangea is... Like when all the earth in prehistoric times was one giant landmass, pandemonium means where all pan, demonium, where all the devils are. Pandemonium is where there's complete chaos, where evil reigns, where the demons hang out, and inside this man there is complete and utter pandemonium. And on top of his inner chaos, this man is like. A champion, MMA fighter, to boot. Right? Nobody can handle him. Their ancient way of handling his strength and craziness was to try to tie him down and bind him and keep him in one place and not even chains could hold him. And the tattered remnants and the broken chains on his hands and arms are symbolizing the chaos and the catastrophe that are going on in his spirit and his mind and in his inner life. He is all alone living amongst the tombs, all alone, but inside there is this world of craziness and chaos. By the way, this is a sign of poor health. And many of us, to some degree or other, experience this when you are all alone on the outside. But when you feel a swirl of chaos or competing voices or conflict or the uh, push and pull and tug of extreme anxiety within, right? Many of us know that reality. Alone on the outside, too much going on on the inside. And the opposite is health and peace. When you are comfortable being with as many others as life asks you to be in any given moment, and when you carry inside of yourself a quiet and still contentment, a centered, God-oriented peace. If you are living in anything like the first reality, alone on the outside and chaotic on the inside, The one thing to take from this message today is, seek Jesus' help by spending time with Jesus' friends, whether it be a counselor, a friend, a pastor, uh, someone who can be with you and help. This was the state of that man, this untamable man whose personality center was not... I don't believe, just an ancient way of describing an extreme violent form of mental illness, but he had been literally overtaken by the darkness. His mind? Of course he was mentally ill, extremely. His spirit, his soul, his body, all of him was getting worked over. Now, it is always the work of the devil, of the evil one, to disfigure, to to destroy... The image of God in human beings. This is why the song A Mighty Fortress Is Our God exists, because in every generation, the devil comes up with ways to undo, undo and disfigure and distract. It is his job not just to pick on us one by one or as a big group, the church. Evil wants to ruin and deface all of creation. And the devil is very good at this. And he has done a number on this man. It is such a far cry, this man alone living among the tombs, from God's original intention when God made Adam and Eve and when they walked in this beautiful and verdant and abundant Garden of Eden together and in communion with God. Such a great distance from Adam and Eve to this man who cries out, and self-harms himself with the sharp edges of stones. Clearly, the neighbors were deeply put off and scared by this man. Do you think Jesus was uncomfortable? I don't think so. I mean, Jesus just calmed a massive storm. Would Jesus, who commands the forces of nature, be scared by this man? Jesus, who not only has power, but Jesus, who is the power, do you think he's frightened? Here's how the story continues. You have some more work to do. When this man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to him, And then Jesus asked him, My name is Legion, he replied, For we are many. Notice how he creepily just shifted into the third person here from the first person? Hey, And then he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. There was a large herd of pigs feeding on a nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And Jesus gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs and the herd, about 2,000 of them in number, rushed down a steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Unbelievable, this story. Jesus' holy presence triggers a powerful reaction from the unholy. This always happens, by the way. Whenever Jesus shows up, whatever is dark or from the evil one lifts its voice and starts going crazy. Now what's amazing to me is that the demons recognize and know exactly who Jesus is. You know, they don't try to describe him as just a rabbi or a teacher. They don't try to diminish who Jesus is. They scream out, ah, it's Jesus, the son of the most high God. We know who you are. It's ironic to me in that we human beings, uh, spend a lot of time trying to convince ourselves that Jesus is not the higher power, but that we ourselves are the higher power, when true evil knows exactly who the higher power is. And the demons try this little trick or joke on Jesus. Now, it's a powerful thing if you give a name to someone, right? When parents go through the decision of naming a child, Or if you ever had the experience of someone older than you in a bullying fashion giving you a name that is not your own, a nickname or a derogatory name that then sticks with you. It is a powerful thing to be named or labeled. And what the demons are trying to do in this moment is exert their power and influence over Jesus by showing him they know his name. We know you're Jesus. We know you're the son of the Most High God. And then, to turn the tables, Jesus asks, What is your name? And the devils give a tricky answer. They don't actually give a name. They give a number. This man says, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, a Roman legion was 6,000 soldiers. I don't think this man's intention was to say, I am full of 6,000 different evil forces. His intention was to say, it is crazy and crowded inside of me. And even though they don't give a precise name, they give a number, a wild number instead, Jesus has their number. Okay? Jesus is in charge here. Jesus has their number. And like the song said, one little word from Jesus shall fell them. Now, if the intention of evil is to totally undo and destroy this man, to ruin him, Jesus knows this and allows the demons to continue their destructive work, but not upon the man, not upon the man who bears the image of God The demons try pulling this fast one on Jesus by naming him and then saying, okay, if you're going to send us away, send us into the pigs instead so at least we can hang out in the area. I don't know how demons work or why they would rather be in pigs than out in the disembodied air, but this is what they want. And they think that they are, you know, maintaining some control over the situation by asking this. And Jesus, amazingly, grants their request. Strikes me as funny, the the evil asks for something and Jesus is like, fine, sure. And he casts this chaotic force of demons into this herd of pigs. Now the demons create a fit of frenzy wherever they go. And these kamikaze devils fall victim to their own destructive designs and then tumble headlong off this cliff and the joke is on them. Okay, Jesus and his disciples are Jewish, right? From a kosher Jewish perspective, here's what happens. There are unclean spirits, impure spirits, and they get sent into unclean animals, impure animals, and then both of them get wiped out by getting drowned. Like, this is great. Jesus takes care of two unclean things at once. And the human being who was impure is cleansed. It's a great irony. Jesus plays a joke on these demons. And this should be good news for everybody because after this, there would be free bacon for months. (laughs) Does anybody like bacon? (laughs) Actually, this is not good news because when Jesus sailed across this lake, he was going from Jewish territory into Gentile territory. And even though the Gentiles would have no problem enjoying some bacon for breakfast, 2,000 pigs is a pretty massive financial loss. Let us check out how the locals react to this extraordinary turn of events. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported the events in the town and the countryside, and all the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were overjoyed. No, they were very afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave our region. So the reaction of the people is twofold. To be very afraid after witnessing the radical transformation of this man and when they heard about the pigs, presumably because they were so upset about what, how bad Jesus was for business, that they just want him out of the area immediately. Instead of giving Jesus the key to the city for healing this man, they give him the boot instead. They literally kick him out. Now it's a second request that Jesus is going to answer that seems very strange. The demons ask a question and Jesus says, yes. The people say, Jesus, get out of town. And Jesus says, yes. Lest we look down our noses at these folks, we should notice that we too, even if we have been lifelong followers of Jesus and believers of God, we too can suffer some similar spiritual realities... Oh. (laughs) That was a little creepy. Anybody else see the microphone moving on its own? I know who is in charge. It's okay. Uh, We, too, really experience a similar reality to these people when it comes to the presence and power of God in our life. Here's the second big word for the day... Ambivalence or spiritual ambivalence. Now, if someone is ambidextrous, ambi means both sides, so they can like hit or throw with both hands. To be ambivalent means to have feelings or thoughts or opinions on both sides of your brain. It's to have like, you know, a divided mind about something, a mix. And when it comes to God, Most of us, most of the time, are pretty deeply spiritually ambivalent. And here's what I mean. We are both attracted to God on one level and, because we're sinners still, we're repelled by God at the same time. We desire him and more of him, the new creation part of us, and we resist his work in us at the same time. I started thinking about this a few years ago when I read an article uh, by a a uh, now-deceased priest named Henry Nowen. He wrote an article about how he had the opportunity uh, to pray for an entire month. And he had been looking forward to this period of quiet and solitude because he was so busy in his ministry. He was so looking forward to this. But in the weeks right before he went off to pray for a month, he all of a sudden started thinking... I wonder if I should bring a whole bunch of books. I wonder what ways I could entertain myself once I start getting bored, because, man, I'm going to pray for an entire month. I don't think I can actually be with only God for an entire month. Now, once every three months, uh, I go on a 48-hour prayer retreat. It's with a group called The Deeper Journey. I'm part of, uh, I've been doing this for like 10 years. And whenever new folks come into the group, um, you know, they have the same experience. They want to go on a 48-hour tr- retreat. They signed up for this thing. They, like, they want to be with God. They want to be in the quiet. And in the middle of this retreat, we give people six hours, no talking, no eating, Silence and solitude. You can go outside, you can stay in your room, you know, whatever, but no words. Only you and the Spirit of God. People sign up for this, they want to do this, and then right before it happens, people start freaking out. They're like, six hours without my phone? Six, like if you can imagine, can you imagine it? If like all of a sudden this afternoon you had six hours with nothing. Nothing. Nothing but your mind, your heart, and God It might sound great, but some of us, if we're really honest, we'd be thinking, oh man, I don't know if I would like that at all. Now here's the deeper truth. When it comes to God, there is no ambivalence in his heart and mind as it relates to us. This is good news, friends. He loves us, He wants to be with us. He desires more of us. Indeed, he detests sin. He detests the power of sin and evil. He detests its consequences. And we are tainted with sin, but Lord have mercy. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us with a pure and bright and unchangeable holy love. With Jesus, there is no ambivalence. He gave himself for us. The classic language in the Bible for this is, our God is a jealous God. Think about this for a moment. God is jealous for you. Not a jealousy filled with, Possessiveness, suspicion, or control like our dark human jealousies are, but God is jealous for us with a love that produces freedom, that casts out fear, that casts out craziness, that casts out pandemonium, and that produces a quiet, confident connection with Him. Jesus proves His jealous love by going across the lake, into hostile, non-Jewish territory and performing the symbolic healing, a sign of what happens when he is in charge. Now, don't you want him to be in charge of you at this point? Jesus would love it if our response to him as we follow throughout our lives was to become increasingly anti-ambivalent in our commitment to him, increasingly single-minded, increasingly loving toward him. But sad to say, my experience with adults is the deeper we get into adult life, often the more ambivalent and the more complicated our lives can become. Show me an 80-year-old with a simple, undistracted, single-minded commitment to God, and I will show you a truly happy, joyful, model human being. Jesus calls us to this kind of love for God. And some of us, what we need to hear this morning is that we need to nurture our desire for God and fight the ambivalence which our sinful nature, of course, always presses upon us. Now, here's how the story ends. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus didn't let him. Jesus said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the Gentile region of ten cities. Just how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now, crazily, there's three requests in this story. Jesus says yes to two and no to one. Jesus says yes to the demons who want to go into the pigs. Jesus says yes to the townspeople who want him to leave their town. And Jesus says no to the guy who wants to leave his old life behind and get into the boat and follow Jesus. What is Jesus thinking? I believe Jesus desires the man who was legion to become with his life a a pledge and a symbol of what happens when you follow Jesus and to become a pledge and a symbol of the definitive triumph when the powers that threaten to undo us are completely overcome and subjected to the rule of the kingdom of God. And won't that be a good day? Jesus says no to this guy and then gives him a mission. Now, depending on where you are at spiritually these days, I would suggest one of three things to take away from this really detailed but wild story. Number one, if you relate to the man legion today, alone on the outside and all noise on the inside, get help from Jesus And Jesus' friends, the counselors, the doctors, the pastors, get help. Many of us need this. Number two. If when I said the word ambivalent and described it, if you thought to yourself, I am so spiritually ambivalent right now. Spend some time with God asking How can I better arrange my life so that I'm more single-minded and focused on desiring you, God? How can I fan the flame of my desire for you? And possibility number three is that maybe God would invite some of us this morning to follow Legion's example once he was transformed and redeemed. Because here's what the mission Jesus gave him. Go home to your own people and tell them about how much God has done for you. And for many of us, this is what our life's work could be about. Here's my story. I mean, me personally. I was a mess, a royal mess, and Jesus saved me from myself. And if you can tell some version of that story to your people, your coworkers, your friends, your family... This honors Jesus. Notice that I did not say, you are such a mess. You should get to know the Jesus that I know. The mission is to say, I am such a mess. I thought I could save the world with my good ideas, and then I grew up and I failed, and Jesus showed me that he is the one who is in charge. That's a good testimony. Maybe your testimony is... I thought I knew better than everyone else. And then I was humbled. I even had to lose my job. But God has come through for me. Whatever your version is, I was a mess, Jesus met me, I'm still a mess, but now I know it's okay because Jesus is in charge. That is the story to tell the world. Now there's another good old song that tells the story exactly. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was a mess. I once was blind. I once was lost, was blind, but now I see. To hear that song perfectly fulfills what Jesus asked this man to do. Go home to your people, to the people who knew you when you thought you were the best, and tell them exactly what God has done for you we stand, let's sing these words together. Amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I